This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. Thank you, Satya, uh, for that introduction, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, Satya had told me the other day, uh, it's not the other day, a couple of months ago about this, uh, and it's amazing how these arrangements are made over ordering soup of the day in sack basement. Uh, you know, and these inspirations happen that way. Um, and, and like he said, the title of today's, uh, of my opening remarks, is more like a remark considering that I have 10 minutes, uh, so, uh, is the space between reimagining Africa in Latin America. In preparing for this opening statement, I had, I had gone back to watch two different documentary films. The first one was Henry Louis Gates' uh, four-part television series, Black in Latin America, which was broadcast uh, on PBS uh, in 2011. And then there's another documentary, Silva Lukacs' uh, uh, piece, uh, Los Hios de Bencos, Children of or the Sons of Bencos. I'll go with the English translation, um, um, which was produced in 2003. Guess's series uh, is his journey through six Latin American countries, namely Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Cuba, Brazil, Mexico, and Peru in which he explores the unique experiences of persons of African descent uh, in these places, despite their common history of European enslavement beginning from the 15th century. I must quickly add that uh, even though ordinarily we are always leaning toward using Columbus as the first, you know, and the transatlantic slave trade as the first arrivals of of persons of African descent in the New World. In fact, studies have shown that prior to Columbus, there have been a lot of movements you know, from Africa to the New World because actually the distance is not too far, 2,000 miles across the Atlantic. And so you know, it's not uh, above the imagination to think that there were interactions before them. But in any case, um, Part of what Gates does is to look at you know, uh, Africa or Africans in the New World, you know, beginning with Columbus. On the other side, uh, you have Silva Lucas's work, which is a fascinating feature on the music of the Palenque de San Basilia of Colombia, uh, a town in the northern uh, Cartagena area of that country, a people who claim, you know, the, the, the Palenque uh, claimed to be the first black, free black city in the Caribbean, uh, even prior to uh, the Haitian Revolution. And for good measure, almost as though to solidify that claim, in 2005, two years after uh, Lukács uh, produced that documentary, the UNESCO, in fact, designated Palenque uh, one of the masterpieces of the oral and intangible heritage of humanity sites, one of those preserved places, uh, as a way of preserving the unique African cultural practices and the Palenquero language uh, existing there. The Palenquero, uh, the language, is actually, some claim it to be the only Spanish-based Creole 
in Latin America or in fact in, you know in the Caribbean the other ones the other Creoles you get are from French English and other Portuguese uh, but the palenquero is a mix of Spanish and some indigenous Congolese languages uh, creating this new language so but as I was reviewing my notes <coughs> excuse me this morning and following the ongoing uh, social turmoil over grand juries and their baffling decisions of death of unnamed or rather unarmed males in the hands of law enforcement, we may begin to think that the way race looms large uh, over our, meaning the U.S. national psyche, must be on account of the, of the fact that whites and blacks are the two larger groups in the U.S. and because of the history of slavery, therefore, they are always in constant conflict uh, without any seeming resolution. But as Gates points out in his series, the TV series, African Americans may constitute 13% of the U.S. population today, but at the height of slavery, of the estimated 11 million Africans who survived the Middle Passage and arrived on the shores of the New World, only less than half a million, in fact, 450,000 uh, of these 11 million or so, 11.2 to be precise, 11 million of these Africans were actually, the, were actually moved to North America, the United States principally. The rest, the 11 million or 10 and a half million, however, that whole number, all that number of Africans were in the South, with Brazil alone uh, accounting for more than half, or at least half of that 10 million. Uh, so, and then you have Colombia, uh, again, uh, among uh, Latin American countries, it's second right after Brazil uh, in terms of the population of Africans that moved into the new world. So indeed, therefore, you think about that, and, and the point being that, yes, uh, we are Americans, and, we, you know, and so these issues about race are huge for us. But and our, the presence of African Americans in the, in, here in the United States is, is a very powerful and very you know a significant aspect of our of our national life. But to take a look at the presence of Africans in the Americas and the rest of the Americas, especially uh, for the purpose of our discussion today, uh, Latin America becomes one that is very urgent and one that we that we really need to focus on because. It's also a way in which you can break away from what seems like the Manichaean dynamic struggle, eternal struggle between black and white in America and look at other spaces also here in the Americas where the dynamics of interactions among Europeans, uh, persons of European descent, African descent, Asian descent, and of course uh, American Indians uh, is more, more nuanced, complex, and layered uh, in texture. So, to think about that then um, is part of why I was caught, or rather I, I, I thought it was very, very significant then to think about what uh, Silva Lucas is doing in the Sons of Bencos. Um, and that video, that, that production, 
basically is a focus. The focus is on champeta music, uh, the, the music uh, in, in Colombia, uh, music by Afro, you know, Colombians, uh, which is, the, the, the music itself, champeta, is again derived from the name. It, it was actually a derogatory name given to the poor, mostly former slaves or slaves, you know, champetudo, as they were called. You must pardon my, my Spanish inadequacies in pronunciation. Uh, but, uh, and they were defined by the machete, which they used for farmland, for farming and the like. And so champeta music came up from this space of disposition, from this space of poverty. Um, but before even champeta music, which is basically contemporary Afro-Colombian you know, uh, music, you had the traditions, especially among the Palenque, you know, among people of Palenque, you had music that was defined by African drumming, uh, the djembe, you know, the conga music, and other percussions, the Shakira, not Shakira, Shakara, uh, the little shakers, well, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and other percussive instruments, and. Uh, and, the, and the entire, and what Lucas does there is to show how there's been this sustained African musical presence in that particular part of Colombia. Um, but my interest here is in the nature of the cultural exchange. In discussing the presence of Africa in the New World, our tendency is to seek out pristine practices say in language or institutions say in language, religion, philosophy, uh, cuisine and the like for survivors, you know, the presence of Africa, what has survived. Uh, this approach, I must say, has its use for as Bob Marley will say in his song, uh, no man, no cry, in this great future, you cannot forget your past. And so to look for the existing cultural practices can help us not only in understanding practices that exist, but in trying to understand what has shaped uh, these aesthetic uh, considerations. It's also a way of understanding what, how practices are extended and how they can also be uh, changed in, the, in that process. On the Champeta fusion, therefore, what, what, what is striking is the nature of the dynamic, this contemporary musical expression. If in the first coming of Africans, if in the first coming of Africa in the New World, and in terms of the survivors, we are trying to celebrate how despite the horror of the Middle Passage, how despite the horror of slavery, some of these Africans have retained their cultural practice, that is in fact the nature of the first coming. Um, what it does is also to make the, those kinds of practices to become almost invaluable because that's what has survived. You have to keep it for the memory. You know, they, they become sites of memory, sites of racial and cultural memory. But it is also, and by that token also, you'll find UNESCO therefore conferring that kind of privileged status to that kind of space. But the second coming is more nuanced, it's more complex. Because if the first one, the first coming, you know, meant Africans in chains, in ships, arriving on the shores of Latin America, the second coming is actually more dynamic. There are no Africans in chains coming in ship holes. 
that there are now loads and loads of cargo ships carrying vinyl records, carrying CDs, carrying cassette tapes. Believe it, there are still cassette tapes you know, of, you know, in existence today. And because the whole champeta music, what is it? Uh, it is the wholesale adoption of Congolese Sukus music. Sukus music, West African highlife music, and a little bit of Nigerian juju music. Uh, these are very, very popular musical forms in contemporary, in contemporary Africa. And Sukus, of course, has gone through all kinds of transformations. But the striking thing, therefore, is uh, with the champeta music or the kind of music that the Palenque and other persons of African descent are producing in Colombia, is that it's a direct, like I said, it's a direct reproduction of this Sukus music. The only thing, basically, that they change is the language. So that instead of, say, the Lingala language, which dominates Sukus, uh, you now have uh, Palenque uh, folks singing in Palenquero or in Spanish, you know, uh, pure or direct Spanish, you know, without, not, not, the, not the Creole of it. Uh, speaking, you know, singing in Spanish over the same Sukus rhythm or the same highlife music. And watching the video, you had this sense of artists who were very proud and who are rightly proud of the fact that they are singing African music. My interest, however, is not necessarily that they are singing African music or that this is a way in which uh, in today's age, in this 21st century, we are seeing uh, a new um, and interesting representation of Africa in Latin America. But I'm actually interested in the fact, in the, in the, in the story behind, or the sound behind the sukus, the high life, and juju music. The sukus came out, emerged, you know, from French colonialism. Uh, sukus was, uh, or rather, uh, the, the Congo uh, was occupied by the French. Uh, in fact, you can go back to King Leopold uh, and his activities in the Congo and, and think about French colonialism as well. But it was during the 1930s and the like and the 1940s that you now had this kind of fusion of music uh, that was actually drawn from the Cuban rumba. Uh, with a mix of African, uh, with a mix of European instrumentation, and of course, uh, part of the uh, acoustic uh, and rhythmic uh, patterns of African music. And so, in a way, then, what the Palenque are celebrating, or what the Palenque are adopting as African music, is something that is even more complex. That is, is even more than a pure African music. But could it be, and I'll be rounding up in just a minute, but could it be that these Palenque artists don't know that Sukus is not necessarily a pure African music? I don't think so. They are aware of it. They, they can sense the rumba you know, from Cuba. They, they know these things. But I think it is a way in which they are, in fact, calling attention to something more dynamic, which is that in the new configuration of diaspora identities. The idea of some kind of essence of 
the original place, whatever that is, is one that is being questioned. New dynamics of exchange, of cultural exchanges, demand something more nuanced, something more complex, something more in the fractal and hybrid forms. And I think that when we think about it for Africa in Latin America or vice versa, we are, we are no longer looking at ideas or constructs where we can actually be seeking some kind of authenticity. We are far from that. We're now looking at new cultural exchanges that simply seek reciprocity, that simply seek the kinds of management of aesthetic values that are dynamic enough to explain and account for the kinds of movements that take place in a new global age. Uh, and I must stop here and wish everyone great deliberations in the rest of the conference. Thank you very much.